Thank you for joining us today for this life-changing message from River of Life. If you are ever in our area, we would love for you to join us. For more information, visit us at rolcrawfordville.com. That's rolcrawfordville.com. Or download our app in the App Store under ROL Crawfordville. Now, let's join Derek Gray as he teaches from the Word of God. What we learned about this a month ago is that in the Old Testament, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth is a fundamental or foundational principle of Old Testament civil law. And its whole purpose was to make sure that the punishment fit the crime. By the way, this is still the foundational principle of, of Western law today. Uh, we don't allow vigilante justice. We, we make sure that the, it goes through the courts and the judges decide the proper punishment. So this is still, this goes way back to ancient days that the punishment must fit the crime. So far from being, when we hear an eye for an eye, we sometimes think it's a license for vengeance, but it's, exact, it's the exact opposite of that. In fact, it's a merciful law that's intended to mitigate or control these excessive acts of vengeance that men are prone to. Now, the Pharisees... Oh, sorry. Thank you. I don't know what's going on. Getting some weird stuff. All right, can you see it now? There we go. Okay, all right. Now, the Pharisees got it all wrong. And what they did is they got it out of balance. And, and I'm, this is gonna, I'm going to introduce this now because this is going to be important for us a little bit later. One of the problems with the Pharisees is their heart wasn't right. And whenever your heart isn't right, you will automatically get Scripture out of balance. That, that's, a, that's a no-brainer. If your heart's not right, you, you will not interpret strip Scripture correctly. And that's what happened to the Pharisees. For example, in Exodus 21, it says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. There are certainly times, appropriate times in the Old Testament where an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth was meant to be applied. But at the same time, in Deuteronomy 32, God said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So that should have told them right then that an eye for an eye is not about vengeance, it's about justice. And at the same time, Hosea 6.6 6 tells us that God says, I desire mercy. So there's times when we need to apply mercy. We have to balance, everybody with me? You have to balance all those things out, but the Pharisees didn't do that. They just focused on that one eye for an eye, and they saw it as their right to get back at somebody. They didn't, they didn't worry about vengeance. They didn't worry about mercy and all this other stuff belonging to God. They just said, oh, you slap me, I'm going to slap you back. You insult me, I'm going to insult you back. They basically saw an eye for an eye as a uh, justification for their own personal vengeance. Now, in verse 39, Jesus says this, But I say to you, do not resist the evil one, or do not resist one who is evil. Now, if we take that at face value, if we take it literally, we're going to have all kind of problems. We're going to run into these impossible, um, uh, just ridiculous situations. And more important than that, what we're going to do is we're going to end up contradicting scriptures that tell us to resist evil people and resist evil in our lives. So we have to ask the question, well, then what if, if we're not supposed to take that literally, what does Jesus mean by that statement? Well, we don't have to guess because immediately after making the statement, he clarifies it with four examples. 
He gives us four examples so that we know exactly what he means by do not resist the one who is evil. The first example we covered uh, two weeks ago, Matthew 5.39. Jesus said, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now you'll remember what we said. In that culture, and these are all, all these examples are culturally specific. In that culture, a backhanded slap it, it was the most grievous insult that one man could give to another, okay? I was talking to a friend of mine this week in Plant City, um, and uh, he was telling me about walking out of a library one day, and just unprovoked, a man just looked at him and, and called him a racial slur, just unprovoked. See, that's exactly what this is. A backhanded slap is not meant to hurt you physically, it's not meant to attack you physically or harm you physically. If they wanted to do that, they'd hit you with a closed fist. A backhanded slap is meant to, uh, to demean you. It's meant to insult you. It's meant to offend you, just like that racial slur. So what Jesus is saying here is, what are you going to do when that happens? How are you going to react to that. And basically the question that you're going to see as we get to the end of this tonight is where every time these happen what's happening is Jesus has given us a choice. What's more important, your dignity or me? What's more important to you, your dignity or me? In the second illustration in Matthew 5:40, Jesus says, "If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well." Now, in that culture, you might say, "Well, could people really be sued for the clothes on their back yes if you didn't have any money this is why someone would sue you for your tunic because they actually you owed them money but you didn't have any money to give so they would sue you for the clothes on your back but as we found out you could not according to mosaic law you could not sue someone for their coat their coat was used like a a blanket that night or a sleeping bag it's what kept you warm So you could not take that away from somebody. That was considered inhumane. But Jesus says, if someone sues you for your undergarment, give them your cloak. You've got a right to that. You can keep it if you want to, but be willing to give it away. You see, once again, Jesus is asking us here, what's more important to you? Your possessions or me? Your dignity or me? Your possessions or me? And then our third illustration, Matthew 5, 41, Jesus says, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Once again, in that culture, a Roman soldier could legally stop you on the road. You might be going to a wedding. You might be going to your father's funeral. You might be going to an important business meeting. And a Roman soldier could stop you and say, I want you to carry my shield, or I want you to carry my weapons, or I want you to carry whatever burden they wanted you to carry, they could force you to go one mile, but no more. See, Jesus is sitting there on a mountain, as we said last week, and he's, he's talking to these Jews, and they hate the Romans with everything in them. And he chooses something that the Romans do that is particularly despicable to his audience. There wasn't a person in that audience who wanted to go one inch for a Roman soldier, much less a mile And Jesus said, go further than that. Go beyond that and do it for me. Do it because you're a Christian. Do it because you have that kind of heart. You see, once again, the choice is clear. What's more important? Is it your time or is it Jesus? Is it your dignity or Jesus? Your possessions or Jesus? Your time 
or Jesus? You see, the question that we're being faced with here in Matthew chapter 5 with these, uh, uh, these different things, these illustrations, is the question for each one of us is who sits on the throne of your heart? That's really what it comes down to. Who sits on the throne of your heart? Is it you or is it Jesus? You see, the scribes and the Pharisees, they had a certain standard of righteousness. But this was their standard. If you slap me, it's only fair that I slap you back. You insult me, I'm going to insult you back. That's only fair. I may owe you a tunic, and it's only fair that I pay you, but guess what? You ain't getting another penny out of me. I won't go one penny beyond that. You may legally be able to force me to go one mile, but guess what? I will not go one inch further than that. That was their standard of righteousness. And by the way, that standard of righteousness is all based on self. What's best for me? I'll take care of my own dignity. I'll take care of my own time. I'll take care of my own positions. It's all about me. You see, their whole problem with the Pharisees was their righteousness was an outside righteousness. Jesus told them, Matthew 23, you're like a whitewashed tomb. On the outside, you look really nice, but on the inside, you're full of rotting flesh and dead men's bones. I'll say it again. I've said it multiple times over the last few weeks. I'll read it again, Matthew 5.20. That was their righteousness. I'll go with you so far, but no more. I'll pay you what I owe, but no more. I'll return slap for slap. And Jesus said, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds theirs, you will never, never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now he comes to illustration number four, Matthew 5.42. He says, give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Let me read it again. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Now, I said last week that this fourth and final illustration, it just seems different. When you read all four of them together, there's something about this one that seems a little different. Well, what is it? Well, think about the, look at the verbs on those first three illustrations. If anyone slaps you, if anyone sues you, if anyone forces you, you see, you're, you're just sitting there and somebody is doing something to you, right? They're, they're slapping you, they're insulting you, they're suing you, they're, they're, they're forcing you to, to, to carry their burden. In all of those cases, someone is taking something from you. They're taking your dignity, they're taking your possessions, they're taking your time. But in this last one, nobody's taking anything. They're just asking I'll read it again. Give to the one who begs from you. They're just asking. Give, don't refuse the one who would borrow from you. They're not taking anything. They're not, they're not forcing anything on you. There's no act of violence here. They're just simply asking. Now, if you look at it that way, this one should be easier, right? I was thinking about my friend this week who walks out of that post office and somebody calls him a racial slur. How, does, how do you not respond? How do you not do that? you know how hard that is? Somebody wants to take your dignity like that. Do you know how hard it is as a man not to come back on that? You would think this one would be easier. 
Again, nobody's insulting or slapping or forcing you. They're just asking. But it turns out this one is probably the hardest one of all. And you know why? Because it's all about the money. It's all about your money. You see, if you go look at those four illustrations, the first one is about personal retaliation. The second one is about personal possessions. The third one is about your personal time. And this last one is about your money. Now listen, I know that in our culture, those number two and number four are very close. Like, we, like for example, we, we, we have money and we buy possessions. We sell possessions and get money. So money and possessions are very tied very closely in our culture. But back then, not so much. Remember what I said about the second illustration? Somebody's suing you for your clothes. Why? Because you don't have any money. So number two is certainly about possessions. Well, think about number four. Someone is begging you on the street. Listen, you're not going to pull an energy bar out of your pocket and a, bowl, and, a, and, a, and, a, and a thing of water and give it to them, right? They didn't have that back then. So when they're begging, they're asking for one thing, and that's money. When somebody's borrowing back then, they're not saying, hey, can I borrow your lawnmower? Can I, can I grab your car? I need to run over to this other... No. They're asking to borrow money. This whole last illustration is, is fully and completely about money. Somebody is asking you for your money, which, by the way, you earned and they didn't. They're just asking you for it. Now, when that happens, it's perfectly natural and normal to kind of not feel like, okay, okay, this ain't happening, right? I earned that money. I got up this morning for daylight. I put in the hours. I earned the paycheck. That's my money. Why in the world would I ever turn around and just give it to you? Listen, every one of us understand this feeling, right? You know, a couple weeks, y'all know what's coming here in a couple weeks, right? And every year, man, it gets me aggravated. I get so aggravated. I don't know why, but I just do. I have to go read my Bible. Pay your taxes. Pay your taxes. Pay your taxes. All right, Jesus, render under Caesar. Render. Okay, Jesus, help me, Lord. Help me. I remember my youngest son got his first job and got his paycheck. He called me. He said, Dad. He said, what? He said, what is this FICA? They took all my money. And I said, welcome to the, welcome to the real world, son. But we don't, we don't like it, do we? It's aggravating when you earn your money and somebody just... Uh, you have to just give it away. It, let, let's be honest, man. You, you, you're, you know, you go into Tallahassee or you go somewhere and you pull up to a red light and there's a guy in the media and he, he wants your money. And your first thought is, man, you know, man, dude, get a job. Come on, man, why are you so lazy? Earn your money. That's my money. I earned that. These are normal, natural feelings to a normal, natural man. But folks, we are not normal, natural people. We are not normal, natural people. We are supernatural beings. We have the Spirit of God. We have a new heart. We've been born again. We are new creations. We are followers of Christ. And let me tell you, everybody's money belongs to Him. But as, as Christians, we have to acknowledge that our money belongs to Him. And therefore, we should use our money the way He would use it. Yes? It's His money. We're just stewards of it. I could tell, we could talk about the parable of the stewards. He goes away, he comes back, and he says, show me what you did with my money. We will be accountable for how we spent 
his money, how we've used the blessings that he gave us. So every single one of us as Christians should be wanting to know tonight, what should I do with my money? How would he want me to use it? Let's go back to Matthew 5.42. These are the words of Jesus, by the way. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. All right, let's just get the question right out there because everybody wants to know this. Does he literally mean that I have got to give to anybody, anytime, any place, anywhere that asks me for any amount? Is that really what he's saying? Just, hey man, can I borrow five dollars? Sure. That was easy. How about fifty bucks? Sure. About five hundred? Sure. By the way, it's exactly what will happen, right? When they find out you, you, hey, go ask that guy. He can't say no. In a month, you're the one out there on the median begging because you ain't got no more money. So is that what Jesus is really telling us to do here? Well, let me give you some, I'm going to remind you. I'm going to give you some, some biblical interpretation principles. Principle number one, and I said this before, the Sermon on the Mount is not a code of ethics. Okay. The the Sermon on the Mount is not a code of ethics. It's not a set of rules that you go to and it it gives you the exact teaching on the exact thing that you're supposed to do in the exact situation. That's not the point. The point of it is to emphasize the spirit of the law and we need to remember that or we'll get in trouble very, very quickly. Principle number two, if you read a teaching of Jesus and that teaching sounds ridiculous to you, then your interpretation is wrong. Because Jesus don't teach anything that's ridiculous. He just don't do that. So we need to relook at it. Number three, Scripture never contradicts Scripture. Scripture never, ever contradicts Scripture. Now, with that in mind, here's the the question. I'm going to come back to that in a minute, and I'm going to answer that question. But what does Scripture say? Remember what the Pharisees did? They honed in on one thing. And they got out of balance. What does the scripture say as a whole? And I think this will help some of you. What does the scriptures as a whole say that I should do with my money? Well, let me give you a few things. Number one, scripture says provide for your family. Provide for your family. 1 Timothy 5.8 If someone does not provide for his own, especially his own family, he has denied the faith and he is worse than an unbeliever. Men, provide for your family. Ladies, if you have to, provide for your family. But that is right there in front of us. You provide for your family. Number two, be dependent on nobody. Look at uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 through 12. Paul's writing to the church. He says, aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we have instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders. And say it with me. Be dependent on no one. That's pretty important. You see, I've struggled my whole life with, and by the way, don't think I'm going to make this easy for you tonight, because it ain't easy. This ain't easy. You will go through your whole life. I was young and I, I turned, I, and now I'm not so young. I turned 60 a few weeks ago. 
And I've always struggled. How much do I save? How much do I put aside for retirement? How, how do I? But see, this one tells me that I should what? Be dependent on nobody. I shouldn't get to the end of my life and have to have a church take care of me or somebody else take care of me because I ain't got nothing. So there's a part of that telling me you, you need to invest. You need to take put some back. But how much? Everybody with me? It's not an easy, it's not an easy question. But certainly, if you, if you read just those two scriptures, it seems that in an ordinary Christian's life, we should try to make sure that we've got a stream of income coming in that does two things. Number one, it provides for our family. And number two, it makes sure that we don't have to depend on anybody else. That's just normal. So there's two things you can do with your money. Number three, we are to give to the work of the ministry. 1 Corinthians 9, 13-14, Paul says, Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? What's he talking about? Back in the Old Testament, you had the temple, you had the priest, you had the Levites, and they didn't have a job. Their whole job was to clean the temple and make sure the sacrifices were done correctly and, and just take care of all of God's things, Right? So where did they get their food? Where did they get their clothes? How, where did they get their money to buy? They got it from the tithes and the offerings that were bought into the storehouse. People would bring the first fruits of their crops, the first fruits of their, of, their, of their animals. They would bring their money and they would give it to the temple. And that would provide for the priest and for the uh, Levites. Paul says, in the same way, the Lord commands that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. He's talking about preachers. He's talking about pastors. He's talking about evangelists. He's talking about people who are out there like Pastor Henry and Pastor Chuck and others. They are to get their living from the church. We bring our offerings. We bring our tithes into the church. And we're doing exactly what the Bible tells us to do. We are providing for the work of the ministry. Number four, you are to give... To meet the needs of others. Let me give you a few. Hebrews 13, 16. Do not forget to do good and share. For with such sacrifices God is well pleased. 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. As for the rich in this present age. And folks, that is everybody here. Just so you understand that. Go home and look up some of these third world countries. And see what people get by. Or try to get by. And you'll see what poverty really is. Everybody in here fits this right here. They are to do good. To be rich in good works. To be generous and ready to share. Thus storing up treasure for themselves. As a good foundation for the future. So that they may take hold of that. Which is truly life. 1 John three seventeen through 18. Whoever has the world's possessions. And sees his fellow Christian in need and shuts off his compassion against him, how can the love of God reside in such a person? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. So there are four things. Provide for your family, be dependent on no one, give to the ministry and share with others. Now, should I... If I was to go and just say, man, I'm just going to provide for my family. I'm going to make all the money I can. I'm going, to, I'm going to provide for my family and not do any of those others. I'm out of balance. At the same time, if I take everything I got and I give it away, 
and I don't provide for my family, I'm out of balance. Are you with me? All of these things have to be held in balance when it comes to how we use our money. And we, don't, we can't overdo one at the expense of others. By the way, there are times when you are not to give and to share. 2 Thessalonians 3, 6-12, Paul says this, Keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness. If anyone is not willing to work, he ought not to eat. Let me say that again. If anybody is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command to do their work quietly and to earn their living. You see, there were people in that day that heard, man, these Christians are generous. Man, if you ask these Christians to give you a meal, man, they'll just give you a meal. You, you, need, you need a tunic, man, they'll just, be, just go down to that church, man, they'll take care of you. And Paul looked at him and said, no, man, if you get a job. Go, go work with your hands. Take care of your own self. You're, you're taking advantage of God's people. If you don't work, you ought not to eat. So people who can work should work. And if they don't, we shouldn't give them anything. Now listen, listen to me very carefully. There is always a need for discernment and wisdom when it comes to our giving. Okay? You, don't just, you don't just walk out and give to anybody at any time, at any place, any amount. No. There is a, if you do that, you're going to find yourself in a world of hurt and you're going to find you in places that Jesus never intended you to be. It takes discernment and it takes wisdom when it comes to our giving. But here's the problem. Sometimes you can't tell if the need is legitimate. Right? Isn't that our problem? Sometimes that person comes and says, man, I, I, I need something. You know, I, I, can you give me this? And, and you're, you know, you're, you're trying to figure it out, but you really can't. You know, let's be honest. You pull up at the red light. The person on the median, you know, got their hand out. You don't have time to figure out right then and there in that 20 seconds or 30 seconds or whatever it is. You don't have time to figure out, does that person have a legitimate need? You just don't have the time to discern that. So the question becomes... If we can't figure it out, if we can't discern it, then what do we do? Well, let me tell you this, and I'm going to show you this here in a minute. As Christians, Jesus wants us to err on the side of generosity. If you're going to make a mistake, make a mistake being generous. That's better than not helping somebody who has a legitimate need. Charles Spurgeon says this, be generous. A miser is no follower of Jesus. Discretion is to be used in our giving lest we encourage idleness and beggary, but the general rule is give to him that asks you. So let's come back to our question. According to Scripture, how do we respond to beggars and panhandlers? Now, I'm bringing it forward to today. You've got to understand, in that day... There is no welfare system, right? If you're crippled, you, you were a beggar. If you're blind, you were a beggar. If, if for some reason you were disabled, you begged. People just didn't have extra meals they could feed you. The government didn't take care of you. We live in a completely different world today. And by the way, thank God for that. Thank God for that. Thank God that I would rather err on the side of taking care of people than to have to live in that type of world. But... 
Let's go back to the question. You're driving through town, you pull up at the red light, and there they are. And they got their sign, right? Need help, God bless, right? How, what do you do in that moment? Now, like I said, I'm not going to make it easy for you. I certainly don't stand up here with all the answers. And this is a difficult question, and there's a lot of different opinions on it, okay? Um, and there are certainly several ways to um, address it. There are people who will just, no matter what, they will pull out their wallet and they will give them money. There are people like that, okay? And, and in their mind, in their mind, I'm giving this in the name of Jesus. What you do with it, that's his business. Okay? Everybody with me? Several years ago, I was going to school at Florida State. Kathy and I had just got married and uh, we were poor. We didn't know we were poor, but we were pretty poor. And, um, uh, you know, she was working, and I was working part-time, going to school. And I didn't have a lot of money. Anyway, one day, long story, and I've told this before, I'm walking out to my car, and a, and a homeless man comes up to me. And uh, he said, man, he said, can I, have you got any money? And I thought, okay, you know, I'll reach in my wallet, and I thought, maybe I've, I've and I open my wallet, and all I have is a $10 bill. Now, $10 a day don't seem that much, but I could have ate for four days off that $10 back back in, in the 80s, right? So I opened my wallet, and that's all I got is a $10. And, and, of course, there's the dilemma, right? <laughs> oh, gosh, what, what do I do, right? And so for some reason, I said, here you go, and I gave him $10, which was a, a lot of money, I said, at that time. And he said, thank you, and he walked off, and I went and I got in my car, and I'll never forget, I sat in my car, and immediately... I said, you are an idiot. You are so dumb. God gave you that money, and you just turned around and gave it to a man, and he's going to go buy a fifth of whiskey, or he's going to go buy drugs, or he's going to go do something with it, and he's going to completely waste what God gave you. You are a terrible steward. You, you, what is wrong with you? And then I remembered something. What I remembered is God does that same thing every single day. Every single day. Luke 6, 35 to 36, Love your enemies, do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. Your reward will be great. You'll be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the unthankful and to the evil. Every single day, God pours out His blessings on people who spit in His face. Every single day, God pours out His blessings and people go and waste it on riotous living. They go and waste it on sin. They waste it every single day. So folks, listen. I'll never tell you not to give them people money. I'll never do that. If that's what you want to do, you do it. Because God does it every single day. Now, there are other people that do it differently. I know people, for example, that will keep uh, 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 energy bars and, and waters and things like that in their car to give to them. You could have gift cards. You could go to a fast food place and get $10, $5 gift cards and just have those and give those to them. Right? If, if, if the circumstances were correct and you are right and you want to take them to a restaurant and feed them a meal, there are ways to give and, and, and the, to those that ask you without giving them cash. 
if you're not comfortable with what they might do with it. There are certainly ways that you can do that, and many people do. There are others who do it other ways. They, they give money to food banks. They give money to rescue missions. They give, give money to, to homeless shelters. And they support and give back to the, to, uh, the poor and the needy in, in that way. So here's your question to me. What is the right thing to do? Here's my answer. Give to the poor. That's the right thing to do. Give to the poor. That's the right thing to do. Proverbs 19, 17, Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and the Lord will reward them for what they have done. 21, 13 says, Whoever shuts their ears to the cry of the poor will also cry out and not be answered. I think the Bible wants you to give to the poor. Luke 12, 33 to 34, Jesus said, Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Galatians 2.10, Paul says, they ask us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. The Bible is extremely clear. We are to give. We are to share. We are to be generous with our money and with our possessions. You see, what matters is that you do it. How you do it, that's way less important. You may do it completely different than I do it. What matters is you do it. This is what, do you not understand? This is what Jesus is saying to us here. Our our default response should be to give. That should be our default. When we're asked, it shouldn't be running through our mind, how do I get out of this? Our default should be to keep, what he wants from us is to be kind to the unthankful and the evil just like he is. He wants us to be kind to the unthankful and the evil, just like he is. Charles Spurgeon says this, and again, it's not easy. These precepts are not meant for fools. That's what he said. Don't do things foolishly. Don't, Don't look in there and say, oh, he just wants me to give it all away. Spurgeon says, no, these are not meant for fools. They are set before us as a general rule. Each rule is balanced by other scriptural commands. But our spirit is to be one of readiness to help the needy by gift or by loan. And we are not exceedingly likely to err by excess in this direction. Did you get that last statement? There's not much danger that we're going to overdo it. Because we are absolutely prone to hold on. In fact, there's a, uh, uh, there's a, uh, I want to close with this. I don't know if any of y'all here have had an EKG. If you ever go to the doctor to get an EKG, they'll put these electrodes on your chest and they'll, they'll crank up some stuff and these little lines start going off. And, and what they tell you is they're checking your electrical impulses in your heart to make sure your, your heart is functioning correctly. Listen, money is a spiritual EKG. Your money is a spiritual EKG. Your money is a test of how spiritually healthy your heart is. How you spend your money, what you do with your money, how, you, how much you love your money, or, or, or your attitude for your money is a spiritual test of how healthy your heart is. By the way, I don't just say that's what Jesus said. Where your treasure is, where your money is, that's where your heart will be. I preached a sermon a few years ago. It's called Follow Your Money. You want to know where your heart is? Go find your money. 
What are you doing with it? Is it all about me? Is it all about mine? Is it all about building bigger barns and bigger barns and, and nicer trucks and nicer boats and better trips? And, or is it about building the kingdom? You want to know where your money is? That's where your heart is going to be. That's what Jesus said. Let me ask you a simple question. Is your heart more prone to give it away or keep it back? Is your heart more prone to give it away or to hold on to it? When, when you come up to a person and that person says, hey, I need to, I, can you give me some money? I can borrow some money or whatever. Are you more prone to look for loopholes to justify why you don't have to do it? Or is your default to give it? See, that's what Jesus, that's, that's why these commands are so radical. Because he knows we are so far toward the withholding side. He's saying, man, get out of that. Get away from that. Be generous. You know, did you know that there are 500 verses in the Bible on prayer? 500 verses in the Bible on prayer. You know how many verses are in the Bible on money? 2,000. There's four times as many verses in, in the Bible on money than there is on prayer. Did you know that half of the parables of Jesus have to do with money and possessions? Why? Why does it talk so much about money? Because we are so prone to trust in money. That car you drove here tonight, money bought that car. Those clothes you got on your back, money bought those clothes. The food that you ate today, money bought that food. The house that you're going to go to home to tonight, money bought that. See, it's so easy to say, I, I, to trust money instead of God. And what Jesus is doing something here is incredibly radical. He's saying, do you trust me? Do you trust me? Give it away. I'll take care of you. Give it away. Good measure. Press down. Shaking together. Running over. In the same measure you give, I'll, I'll, I'll give back to you. I'll take care of you. Do you trust me? This is what this is all about. Do you trust me? Do you have the kind of the kingdom faith that a Christian has? In the end, are you a Zacchaeus or are you an Ananias? I, I'm sure you know the story of both of these. In Acts chapter 5, there's a, uh, the, the church is very early. There's a man named Ananias. He, he and his wife, Zephira, um, or, or Sapphira, they had a piece of property. And they sold that property. And we don't know the amount they sold it for. Let's just say they sold it for $1,000. And they got together and said, well, let's take this to the apostles and we'll tell them we sold it for 500 And that's what they did. They kept a part of it back for themselves. So they went and they laid that $500 at the apostles' feet and they say, hey, we sold our property. Here it is. And Peter looked at him and said, Ananias, what are you doing? before you sold that property, that property is yours. You could have done anything you wanted to do with it. You didn't have to bring it to us. And after you sold it, you could have kept all the money for yourself. You didn't have to bring us. Why did you come in here and lie not to us, but you lied to God? And he fell down dead at their feet. On the other hand, you got a man named Zacchaeus. Y'all know the story, right? We learned this in vacation Bible school. Jesus comes into Jericho. There's a little short guy by the name of Zacchaeus who can't see over the crowd. So he climbs up in a tree. And he's a tax collector. Everybody hates his guts and, and uh, sees him as a traitor. He's rich. And Jesus is walking along and he stops and he looks up and says, Zacchaeus, come down. I need to go to your house. 
And later on it says this, Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, he said, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Now here's the thing. They both gave money away. In fact, neither one gave all they had, did they? Ananias didn't give all the money from the property sale, and Zacchaeus, did, he said, I give half to the poor. What was different was their heart. You see, one was prone to withhold. The other was prone to give. One was, was pro, prone to keeping it. The other one was prone to generosity. Now, let me be clear. What made Zacchaeus different? What made Zacchaeus different? I always tell people this. The key to the salvation of Zacchaeus wasn't that he gave. Listen, giving money won't get you into heaven and not giving money won't keep you out of heaven. It ain't got nothing to do with it. Here's what's different about Zacchaeus. Luke 19, 8. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, what did he call him? Lord. Not rabbi. Not teacher. He called him Lord. See, I started this ask out by saying, who's on the throne of your heart? Is it you? Or is it the Lord? See, Ananias, he just wanted to give money so people would pat him on the back and tell him what a great guy he was. Man, look at Ananias. But his heart wasn't right. He was still sitting on the throne of his heart. But Zacchaeus, Jesus was on his heart's throne. And by the way, Jesus changes everything. Jesus changes everything. You let Jesus come in and change you, and your attitude towards your money will completely change. It'll completely change. It becomes about Him, and it becomes about His kingdom and what He wants to do. And, and again, there's a balance. You don't run out and give it all away. You take care of your family. You make sure you're not dependent on no one. You get, have to give to the ministry. You have to share but your attitude toward it changes. You see, this is what kingdom citizens do. It's not about what's fair. We put our wants and our needs aside to love others in the way Jesus loved us. Let me say it again. I said it a couple weeks ago. Let me say it one more time. Jesus wasn't fair to us. We didn't get what we deserved, did we? We got mercy. And we got grace. That guy sitting in that, standing on that medium with that card probably don't deserve it. We didn't either. Mercy. Grace. Share. I, again, what are we trying to do here? I'm not trying to follow a bunch of rules. I'm trying to be like a person named Jesus Christ. In some way, somehow, in just the little ways that I use my money, if I can somehow shine a light on Him and draw people to Him, then I've done what He's asked me to do. Let's pray. Father, as always, Lord, we love You. We thank You. What an incredible, incredible sermon You gave so many years ago. And that, as somebody told me this week, that sermon was just as relevant 2,000 years ago as it was 1,000 years ago as it was yesterday. God, help us as a body to love you more than money. Help us as a body to, to, to put on display for a, for a county that, that people can see we're not normal. We're not like natural people. We're, we're different. 
God, as Christians, Holy Spirit, help us to shine a light on you. Help us to do the works that you've asked us to do so that people will see you for who you are and bring glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for listening to this message from River of Life. If this message has touched you today, or if you need someone to pray with, please contact us at 850-926-1200 or email us at info at rolcrawfordville.com. We also want to encourage you to visit us this Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. in Crawfordville. Please visit us online at rolcrawfordville.com for more information and directions.